Chapter Five of the Uphill Climb by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter Five. I can spare this particular girl. Ford's range-trained vision told him, while yet afar off, that the lone horse feeding upon its side hill was saddled and bridled with reins dragging the tell-tale upward toss of its head when it started on to find a sweeter morsel was evidence enough of the impeding bridle even before he was near enough to distinguish the saddle your true range man owns blood relationship with the original good samaritan ford swung out of the trail and untied his rope as a matter of course the master of the animal might have turned him loose to feed but if that were the case he had strayed further than was ever intended the chances since no human being was in sight were all against design and in favor of accident. At any rate, Ford did not hesitate. It is not good to let a horse run loose upon the range with a saddle cinched upon its back, as everyone knows. Ford was riding along the sheer edge of a water-worn gully, seeking a place where he might safely jump it, or, better, a spot where the bank sloped so that he might ride down into it and climb the bank beyond, when he saw a head and a pair of shoulders moving slowly along just over the brow of the hill where fed the stray he watched and when the figure topped the ridge and started down the slope which faced him his eyes widened a trifle in surprise skirts to the tops of her shoes betrayed her a woman she limped painfully so that ford immediately pictured to himself puckered eyebrows and lips pressed tightly together and i'll bet she's crying too he summed up aloud while he was speaking, she stumbled and fell headlong. When he saw that she made no attempt to rise, but lay still just as she had fallen, Ford looked no longer for an easy crossing. He glanced up and down the washout, saw no more promising point than where he was, wheeled and rode back twenty yards or so, turned and drove deep his spurs. It was a nasty jump, and he knew it all along. When Rambler rose gamely to it, with tensed muscles and forefeet flung forward to catch the bank beyond, he knew it better. And when, after a sickening minute of frenzied scrambling at the crumbling edge, they slid helplessly to the bottom, he cursed his idiocy for ever attempting it. Rambler got up with a pronounced limp, but Ford had thrown himself from the saddle and escaped with nothing worse than a skinned elbow. They were pinned, however, in a box-like gully ten feet deep, and there was nothing to do but follow it to where they might climb out. Ford was worried about the girl, and made a futile attempt to stand in the saddle, and from there climb up to the level. But Rambler, lame as he was, plunged so that Ford finally gave it up and started down the gulch, leading Rambler by the reins. There were many sharp turns in temper-trying windings, and though it narrowed in many places so that there was barely room for them to pass, it never grew shallower. Indeed, it grew always deeper, and then, without any warning, it stopped abruptly upon a coulee's rim, with jumbled rocks and between them a sheer descent to the slope below. Ford guessed then that he was boxed up in one of the main waterways of the foothills he had been skirting for the past hour or so, and that he should have ridden up the gulch instead of down it. He turned, though the place was so narrow that Rambler's four feet almost touched one another and his rump scraped the bank, as Ford pulled him round, and retraced his steps. It was too rough for riding, even if he had not wanted to save his horse, and he had no idea how far he must go before he could get out. Ford, at that time, was not particularly cheerful. 
He must have gone a mile or more before he reached the point where, by hard scrambling, he attained level ground upon the same side as the girl. Ten minutes he spent in urging Rambler up the bank, and when the horse stood breathing heavily beside him, Ford knew that, for all the good there was in him at present, he might as well have left him at the bottom. He walked around him, rubbing leg and shoulder muscles until he located the hurt, and shook his head when all was done. Then he started on slowly, with Rambler hobbling painfully after him. Ford knew that every rod would aggravate that strained shoulder, and that a stop would probably make it impossible for the horse to go on at all. He was not quite sure, after all these windings where he could not see, just where it was he had seen the girl, but he recognized at last the undulating outline of the ridge over which she had appeared, and made what haste he could up the slope. The grazing horse was no longer in sight, though he knew it might be feeding in a hollow nearby. He had almost given up hope of finding her, when he turned his head and saw her off to one side, lying half-concealed by a clump of low rose bushes. She was not unconscious, as he had thought, but was crying silently, with her face upon her folded arms and her hat askew over one ear. He stooped and touched her upon the shoulder. She lifted her head and looked at him, and drew away with a faint, withdrawing gesture, which was very slight in itself, but nonetheless eloquent and unmistakable. Ford backed a step when he saw it, and closed his lips without speaking the words he had meant to say. Well, what do you want? the girl asked ungraciously, after a minute spent in fumbling unseen hairpins and in straightening her hat. I don't know why you're standing there like that, staring at me. I don't need any help. Uh, appearances are deceitful, then, Ford retorted. I saw you limping over the hill after your horse, and I saw you fall down and stay down. I had an idea a little help would be acceptable, but, of course, that was an hour ago, she interrupted accusingly, with a measuring glance at the sun, which was settling towards the skyline. I had trouble getting across the washout down there. I don't know this part of the country, and I went down it instead of up. What are you crying about? You don't need any help. She eyed him askance and chewed upon a corner of her lip and flipped the upturned hem of her riding skirt down over one spurred foot with a truly feminine instinct before she answered him. She seemed to be thinking hard and fast, and she hesitated even while she spoke. Ford wondered at that latent antagonism in her manner. I was crying because my foot hurts so, and because I don't see how I'm going to get back to the ranch. I suppose they'll hunt me up if I stay away long enough. But it's getting towards night, and I'm scared to death of coyotes, if you must know. Ford laughed at her defiance, in the face of her absolute helplessness, more than at what she said. And you tell me you don't need any help? he bantered. I might borrow your horse, she suggested coldly, as if she grudged yielding even that much to circumstance. Or you might catch mine for me, I suppose. Sure, but you needn't hate me because you're in trouble, he hinted irrelevantly. I'm not to blame, you know. I, I hate to ask help from a stranger, she said, watching him from under her lashes. And I can't help showing what I feel. I hate to feel under an obligation. If that's all, forget it, he assured her calmly. It's a law of the open, to help a fellow out in a pinch. When I headed here, I thought it was a man had been set afoot. She eyed him curiously. 
"'Then you didn't know?' "'I thought you were a man,' he repeated. "'I didn't come just because I saw it was a girl. "'You needn't feel under any obligation whatever. "'I'm a stranger in the country and a stranger to you. "'I'm perfectly willing to stay that way, if you prefer. "'I'm not trying to scrape acquaintance on that strength of your being in trouble, "'but you surely don't expect a man to ride on and leave a woman out here on the bald prairie, do you?' especially when she's confessed she's afraid of the dark and coyotes she was staring at him while he spoke and she continued to stare after he had finished the introspective look which sees without seeing it became at last and ford gave a shrug at her apparent obstinacy and turned away to where rambler stood with his head drooped and his eyes half closed he picked up the reins and chirped to him and the horse hesitated swung his left foot painfully forward hobbled a step, and looked at Ford reproachfully. "'Your horse is crippled as badly as I am, it would seem,' the girl observed from where she sat watching them. "'I strained his shoulder, trying to make him jump that washout. That was when I first got sight of you over here. We went to the bottom, and it took me quite a while to find a way out. That's why I was so long getting here,' Ford explained indifferently with his back to her, while he rubbed commiseratingly the swelling shoulder. Oh, the girl waited. It seems to me you need help yourself. I don't see how you expect to help anyone else with your horse in that condition, she added. And, when he still did not speak, she asked, Do you know how far it is to the nearest ranch? No, I told you I'm a stranger in this country. I was heading for the double cross, but I don't know just... We're eight miles straight across from there. Ten, the way we would have to go to get there. There are other washouts in this country, which it is unwise to attempt jumping, Mr. Campbell, Ford supplied shortly. I beg your pardon, you mumbled. Campbell, Ford was tempted to shout it, but contented himself with a tart distinctness. A late untoward incident had made him somewhat touchy over his name, and he had not mumbled. Oh, did you skin your face and blacken your eye, Mr. Campbell? when you tried to jump the washout no ford did not offer an explanation he remembered the scars of battle which were still plainly visible upon his countenance and he turned red while he bent over the four ankles of rambler trying to discover other sprains he felt that he was going to dislike this girl very much before he succeeded in getting her to shelter he could not remember ever meeting before a woman under forty with so unpleasant a manner and with such a talent for disagreeable utterances then you must have been fighting a wildcat, she hazarded. Pardon me, is this a Methodist experience meeting? he retorted, looking full at her with lowering brows. It seems to me the only subject which concerns us mutually is the problem of getting to a ranch before dark. You'll have to solve it yourself. I never attempt puzzles. The girl, somewhat to his surprise, showed no resentment at his rebuff. Indeed, he began to suspect her of being secretly amused. He began also mentally to accuse her of not being too badly hurt to walk, if she wanted to. Indeed, his skepticism went so far as to accuse her of deliberately baiting him. Though why, he did not try to conjecture. Women were queer. Witness his own late experience with one. Being thus in a finely soured mood, Ford suggested that, as she no doubt knew the shortest way to the nearest ranch, they at least make a start in that direction. How? asked the girl, staring up at him from where she sat beside the rose bushes. 
By walking, I suppose. Unless you expect me to carry you. Ford's tone was not in any degree affable. I fancy it would be asking too great a favor to suggest that you catch my horse for me. Ford dropped Rambler's reins and turned to her, irritated to the point where he felt a distinct desire to shake her. I'd far rather catch your horse, even if I had to haze him all over the country, than carry you, he stated bluntly. Yes, I suspected that much. She had plucked a red seed ball off the bush nearest her and was nibbling daintily the sweet pulp off the outside. Where is the horse? Ford was holding himself rigidly back from an outburst of temper. Oh, I don't know, I'm sure. She picked another seed ball and began upon it. He should be somewhere around, unless he has taken a notion to go home. Ford said something under his breath and untied his rope from the saddle. He knew about where the horse had been feeding when he saw him and he judged that it would naturally graze in the direction of home, which would probably be somewhere off to the southeast, since the trail ran more or less in that direction. Without a word to the girl, or a glance toward her, he started up the hill, hoping to get his bearings in a sight of the horse from the top. He could not remember when he had been so angry with a woman. If she was a man, he gritted as he climbed, I'd give her a thrashing or leave her out there, just as she deserves. That's the worst of dealing with a woman. She can always hand it to you. And you gotta give her a grin and thank you, because she ain't a man. He glanced back then and saw her sitting with her head dropped forward upon her hands. There was something infinitely pitiful and lonely in her attitude, and he knitted his brows over the contrast between it and her manner when he left her. I don't suppose a woman knows herself what she means half the time, he hazarded impatiently. She certainly didn't have any excuse for throwing it into me the way she did. Maybe she's sorry for it now. After that, his anger cooled imperceptibly, and he hurried a little faster, because the day was waning with the chill haste of mid-autumn, and he recalled what she had said at first about being afraid of coyotes. And, although the storm of three days ago had been swept into mere memory by that sudden Chinook wind, and the days were once more invitingly warm and hazily tranquil, Night came shiveringly upon the land, and the unhoused thought longingly of hot suppers and the glow of a fire. The girl's horse was, he believed, just disappearing into a deep depression half a mile further on, but when he reached the place where he had seen it, there was nothing in sight save a few head of cattle and a coyote trotting leisurely up the farther slope. He went further down the shallow coulee, then up to the high level beyond, his rope coiled loosely over one arm, and the end dragging a foot behind him but there was nothing to be seen from up there, except that the sun was just a red disk upon the far-off hills, and that the night was going to be uncomfortably cool if that wind kept blowing from the northwest. He began to feel slightly uneasy about the girl, and to regret wasting any time over her horse, and to fear that he might not be able to get close enough to rope the beast even if he did see him. He turned back then and walked swiftly through the dusk toward the ridge, beyond which she and Rambler were waiting but it was a long way, much further than he had realized until he came to retrace his steps, and the wind blew up a thin rift of clouds which made the darkness come quickly. He found it difficult to tell exactly at which point he had crossed the ridge, coming over, and although experience in the open develops in a man a certain animal instinct for directions handed down by our primitive ancestry, Ford went wide in his anxiety to take the shortest way back to his unwilling protege. The westering slope was lighter, however, and five minutes of wandering along the ridge showed him a dim bulk which he knew was Rambler. 
he hurried to the place, and the horse whinnied shrilly as he approached. I looked as long as I could see, almost, but I couldn't locate your horse, Ford remarked to the dark shadow of the rose bushes. I'll put you on mine. It will be slow going, of course, lame as he is, but I guess we can manage to get somewhere. He waited for the chill, impersonal reply. When she did not speak, he leaned and peered at the spot where he knew she must be. If you want to try it, we better be starting, he urged sharply. It's going to be pretty cold here on this side hill. When there was silence still, and he gave her plenty of time for reply, Ford stooped and felt gropingly for her, thinking she must be asleep. He glanced back at Rambler. Unless the horse had moved, she should have been just there under his hands. Or, he thought, she may have moved to some other spot and be waiting in the dark to see what he would do. His palms touched and pressed grasses where she had been, but he did not say a word. He would not give her that satisfaction, and he told himself grimly that he had his opinion of a girl who would waste time in foolery out here in the cold with a sprained ankle to boot. He pulled a handful of the long grass which grows best among bushes. It was dead now and dry. He twisted it into a makeshift torch, lighted and held it high so that its blaze made a great disk of brightness all around him. While it burned, he looked for her, and when it grew to black cinders and was near to scorching his hand, he made another and looked further. He laid aside his dignity and called, and while his voice went booming full-lunged through the whispering silence of that empty land, he twisted the third torch and stamped the embers of the second into the earth, that it might not fire the prairie. There was no dodging the fact. The girl was gone. When Ford was perfectly sure of it, he stamped the third torch to death with vicious heels, went back to the horse, and urged him to limp up the hill. He did not say anything then, or think anything much. At least he did not think coherently. He was so full of a wordless rage against the girl that he did not at first feel the need of expression. She had made a fool of him. He remembered once shooting a big, beautiful, black-tailed doe. She had dropped limply in her tracks and lain there, and he had sauntered up and stood looking at her stretched before him. He was out of meat, and the dough meant all that hot venison steaks and rich brown gravy can mean to a man meat-hungry. While he unsheathed his hunting knife, he gloated over the feast he would have that night, and just when he had laid his rifle against a rock and knelt to bleed her, the deer leaped up from under his hand and bounded away over the hill. He had not said a word on that occasion, either. This night, although the case was altogether different and the disappearance of the girl was in no sense a disaster, rather a relief, if anything, he felt that same wordless rage, the same sense of utter chagrin. She had made a fool of him. After a while he felt his jaws aching with the vice-like pressure of his teeth together. They topped the ridge, Rambler hobbling stiffly. Ford had in mind a sheltering rim of sandstone at the nearest point of the coulee he had crossed in searching for the girl's horse and made for it. He had noticed a spring there, and while the water might not be good, the shelter would be welcome at any rate. He had the saddle off Rambler, the shoulder bathed with cold water from the spring, and was warming his wet hands over a little fire when the first gleam of humor struck through his anger and lighted for a moment the situation. Lordy me, I must be a hoodoo where women are concerned, he said, kicking the smoky stub of a bush into the blaze. Soon as one crosses my trail, she goes and disappears off the face of the earth. He fumbled for his tobacco and papers. 
It was a dry camp, as he was making that night, and a smoke would have to serve for a supper. He held his book of papers absently while he stared hard at the fire. It ain't such a bad hoodoo, he mused. I can spare this particular girl just as easy as not. Another one, too, for that matter. After a minute spent in blowing apart the thin leaves and selecting a paper, queer where she got to, and it's a darn mean trick to play on a man that was just trying to help her out of a fix. Why, I wouldn't treat a stray dog that way. Darn these women. End of chapter 5